We are in Matthew, going through it verse by verse, looking at the teachings of Jesus. Kind of a long project for us this year. I'm not even sure we'll get through it this year, but we're, we're going to get through it. Uh, but what we want to do is really take a look at what did Jesus teach. Because the Great Commission that Jesus told us to do was to go to all the world, preach the gospel to everybody, teaching them to obey what I told you to obey. Well, what did Jesus tell us to obey? What were his commands? What, was his, what were his instructions? Sadly, millions of people who claim the name of Jesus have little to no idea what the commands are because they have never read them, taken the time to study them. And we're kind of very selective uh, in the teachings of Jesus. What we pretty much hear and have heard for decades, and it hasn't had a, been, hasn't had a good uh, end result, is, is that it's as if... Preachers have gone through and found all the warm and fuzzy things that Jesus said. All the stuff that we like that makes us feel good. Ah, and then all the stuff that's strong, you hardly ever hear that stuff. But you'll see as we go through this that most of what Jesus said was very strong. This idea of a limp-wristed, wussy, you know, Jesus who just appeased everybody. Just believe in me and I love everybody. Is not, the, you know, someone who just like to hold lambs and little children. Is not the real picture of Jesus. Jesus' teachings, as wonderful as they are, and there are some great warm and fuzzies that are life-changing, but that's not all of it. In fact, most of it was pretty direct and to the point. So we are going to do what Jesus said. We're going to teach you what he taught, which is our commission. So we are now at chapter 5. So what have we seen so far? Jesus has been born. He's been baptized, he was tempted of the devil, um, and now he begins preaching, he starts healing people. We talked, you know, a lot about uh, about the healing thing last week and, and, and trusting God. And, and I know some people had questions about that, and there's a million different questions you might have about the healing thing. And, and I, that really wasn't an exhaustive teaching on healing. We'll do that sometime. Uh, I just wanted to show you and point out the fact that Jesus healed people. He did it all the time. And the Bible is full of God's intent. You can't possibly miss this. From the beginning of Genesis all the way through, that woven through the whole thing is God's desire to heal people. His desire for you is to be well. Faith starts there. If you don't think God wants you to be healed, kind of hard to have faith. So anyway, stand in the word, grow in that. We'll, uh, we'll get into more detail about that later. But anyway, okay. So now we are at chapter 5. This is the first record of the major sermon that Jesus taught. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And we get some major uh, pieces of instruction that Jesus taught people in this sermon. So, let's take a look at this. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up, talking about Jesus, all these crowds. Why? Because they're all getting healed. Everybody wanted to come, you know, get rid of their sickness and stuff. This is what Jesus did for people. So when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. So Jesus sits down. He's on this mount, hence the name Sermon on the Mount. This is why it's called that. Now his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying. And then he starts, uh, we start this, this record of this sermon that he preached. He starts out by this series of uh, statements, blessed, 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 all these different people. These are called the Beatitudes. If you ever hear the phrase Beatitude, if you're uh, 
ever on Jeopardy and you're about to win a million dollars and you need to know what the word beatitude is, now you know what it is, okay? It, these are these phrases that Jesus talked about, talking about blessing certain types of people who are very blessed. Let's read them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because for, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we could preach in great detail about all of these things. And in fact, I do in our small groups and are doing that during this Lenten season. The whole Lenten small group uh, gathering is about going into great detail about what each one of these means. So, I won't do that here. You should be doing it in your small group. You say, well, I'm not in a small group. Well, shame on you. Get in a small group. At least during Lent, you know, if you don't want to do it all the time, I can understand. But, you know, do something. Especially if you don't want to do it. It's a good lesson for your kids, you know. Why are we doing this? I don't, I don't want to do it. Then why are we doing it? Because sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do. You know, it's a good time. This is Lent. This is a good time for you to focus in on your faith. And if you haven't signed up for a small group yet, talk to your campus pastor. Get involved in one. If nothing else, just for this Lenten season. And I show you, and we talk in great detail about what all these things mean. In a general sense, I will say this. Uh, Jesus is basically setting the world on its head at this point. This is like radical teaching. And by the way, everybody loves the Beatitudes. Even people who don't like Jesus like the Beatitudes. You know, this is the warm and fuzzy. Again, you had that warm and fuzzy part of Jesus. He's about to get into the butt-kicking side of Jesus you don't hear much about. But everybody loves this part of it. And this is very radical teaching. Because what he's basically saying are the people that most people would think you'd feel sorry for are in fact the blessed people. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are humble in heart. Those who have the ability to weep and mourn. Those who are meek. Those who are hungry for more of God. For the pure in heart. Those that are peacemakers. All of these things. These are the kind of things that the world for thousands of years have pitied those people. Jesus comes, sits down. This is it. This is his big, major first sermon. And he sets the world on its head and says, Hey, all of these people that you feel sorry for, don't feel sorry for them. Blessed are these people. These are the people that everybody seems to overlook. But God does not overlook them. The world might ignore them. The world might like, you know, the Donald Trump tough, you know, butt kicking, taking over everything kind of people in the world. Well, that's the world's version of things. You know who gets God's attention? Not the movie stars and the big, you know, successful businessmen that just climb and knock things over. The people who gets God's attention are, in fact, the meek. Those who have humble hearts. Those who have teachable spirits. Those are who are hungry to do the right things, who long to think. These are the people who are blessed, who are favored by God. And this was very radical teaching when all of a sudden Jesus comes along because the despised group of people in the eyes of most for thousands of years, Jesus said, no, 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 no. These are the people God looks for. These are the people, humbleness of heart, a willingness to receive. 
Very powerful stuff. Again, we get into it in much greater detail in our small groups during Lent, so make sure you plug into that. I will say, let me talk a little bit more about the, the last one, because it's the one Jesus talked about the most. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Uh, and then he goes on and keeps talking about it. In verse 11, he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice! And be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you see, he takes a long... He uses these, these little phrases about the poor in spirit, and the meek, and, and the peacemakers all have their little thing. But when he gets to those who are blessed for being persecuted, he goes much longer and talks. Man, when people are saying bad things about you, all these different kinds of things, and coming against you because of me... Just rejoice. Now, I point out, and we'll be pointing out in our small group study, that I think by and large, uh, we are kind of insulated from this. We live in a free country. Thank God we live in a free country uh, that has a Christian uh, heritage. I know it's being uh, you know, chipped away at all around us, but still, by and large, we don't really get persecuted for our faith. There are people who do get very persecuted. Um, it's not just about people who don't like you. I mean, their, their lives are very, very rough. And uh, Jesus says, man, you guys are blessed. Rejoice. Man, when, when these people come against you, rejoice. And, and don't feel bad or sorry for yourself. Uh, so while most of us, again, I think because of, thankfully, the country in which we live are insulated from this, we do have it at small levels. I mean, there are people who will not like you because you're a Christian, okay? Well, boo-hoo. <laughs> this is not, I know some people, oh, I'm so persecuted, why? Because this guy hates me because I'm a Christian. Seriously, you think this is, we don't really understand persecution here, okay? But even when that does happen to you, it still applies. Somebody doesn't like you because you're a Christian, rejoice. You know, you are blessed. People of righteousness have often been uh, criticized and reviled by those who don't understand what true spirituality is all about. I will caution you. It says, Jesus said, Bless when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Okay? Now, I have people who do insult me, who do persecute me, and say all kinds of nasty things about me, but because of me. In other words, I have done things that have been insensitive to me. And any pastor knows what I'm talking about. If you're a public figure, and, and you know, it's hard to, every word that comes out of your mouth is being measured by everybody. You're all measuring my words. I mean, some people, especially if I'm careless or I don't phrase something right, they get mad at me. You know, and they'll say, he's on this and he's on that, and I'll leave the church and start some rumor about who knows what? Um, you say, well, you know, someone might say, well, brother, just rejoice and be exceedingly glad uh, because you're being persecuted. Nah, I don't know that that really applies. They don't hate me because of Jesus. They, they hate me because because I'm a jerk, or I said something, I, you know, that I didn't say quite right, or you know, he's saying because of me. We're, we're talking about when somebody hates you. Even not so much because of what you do or whatever. It's because of what you stand for. They so hate God. 
Now, some of you have experienced this in family, friends. When you first become a Christian, they dump you. Don't want anything to do with you. Uh, again, in some parts of the world, they would persecute you. They would try to have you arrested, kill you, stone you, take away your property, lose your job. That's real heavy persecution. Here we get just the whiff of it when people don't want to be around you anymore because of your faith. Well, it's still that still applies, but it's because of Jesus. When somebody can't stand you because of Jesus, then rejoice. And rejoice in the fact that you are identified with Christ. Uh, and if someone can't stand you because you're obnoxious or a big fat jerk or you're insensitive, you know, don't get some martyr complex that you're suffering for Jesus. No, you're just a jerk, you know. But be nice. You know, think more carefully. I have done this. I've grown as a pastor. I try to be more careful I think I offend less people than I used to, but I don't think I'm finished yet. I still think there's some people, they're going to hear me say something that, you know, maybe wasn't phrased the way it should be. They're going to get all mad and they can't stand me. They'll say nasty things about me. But I don't, I don't consider that persecution. I just think, you know, misunderstanding, you know, they didn't like me. Maybe they misunderstood something. Maybe I was a jerk about something, overreacted to something, you know, so don't, don't be quick to wear some martyr's badge. Uh, you know, and I have noticed there, there are people that people can't stand just because of their faith, just because they stand for righteousness. Like I just said, that's fine. Then I know Christians that are so obnoxious with their faith, people can't stand them. You know, and you know, as soon as they meet them, how you doing? Are you going to heaven? Are you going to hell? Are you born again yet? You know what I mean? And some people they do this and they like being this way. Okay, well, there's a lot of people who don't like these people. And then they might say, well, I'm being persecuted. No, you're just obnoxious. You know, you could be selling Amway the same way and they wouldn't like you. You could be going door to door selling Avon and being obnoxious, you know, trying to sell life insurance and being, there's all kinds of things. You, just, just because you have Jesus, you can still be obnoxious about it. You can think of lots of businesses or salesmen can be real obnoxious. We need to be representatives of Christ. Don't be an obnoxious Christian salesman. And don't take some martyr badge because everybody hates you because you're a Christian. No, they probably hate you because you're obnoxious. Don't be that way. Be nice. Okay. Let us move on. Now, um, verse 13. So that's that's the warm and fuzzy. Everybody loves this. Now Jesus goes into it and he starts talking more. He says, now you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Okay, already we're getting a little bit of an edge here from Jesus. He said, look, if you lose your purpose as people of faith, you're not good for anything. Whoa, ouch, you know. Mr. Warm and Fuzzy, all of a sudden, not so warm and fuzzy. He's being very strong. Look, if you, if you lose what this is about, uses the analogy of saltiness, you're not good for anything. He goes on, he says, you are the light of the world. Talking about people of faith. We as Christians, we are the light of the world. We're not supposed to be obnoxious about it, but we are the hope of the world because we have the message of Christ. That applies to us, it applies to every church everywhere in the world. We are the light of the world. We should let our light shine to the people around us so that they can hear and see that there is a God that is real and that loves them. Okay? He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That should just happen automatically. You know, I fly 
airplanes. You know, I fly my airplane, and, and one of the neat things I always like flying at night, particularly in the winter, because you can see forever. The air is unusually clear. You can see for hundreds of miles. And uh, on a clear winter night as you're flying along, and the air is very still, and it's, and it's great. And it's very stunning. I mean, these cities aren't trying to be seen. It's just you can't hide them. You'd have to go out of your way to hide them. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, if we're really living our faith, you don't almost have to go out of your way to hide this from people. He said, don't hide it. Be who you are. Don't be afraid of who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Uh, you know, I know as adults, we don't get a lot of pressure of this. A lot of you teenagers, you know, you get pressured, you know, to feel ashamed because you believe in Jesus and because you don't want to go out, you know, you don't go out and party, get drunk and have sex and all the other kind of stuff that some of your friends in high school might do. You know, they may kind of make you feel ashamed for doing the right thing. Don't feel ashamed for doing the right thing. Never, ever, ever feel ashamed for doing the right thing. Man, be who you are. Embrace who you are. We are children of God. We're different than other people. I get it. If you're a Christian, get comfortable with being different. All right? Just be who you are. Let your light shine. Neither, Jesus says in verse 15, do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. The same analogy. You got a light on a stand. You got to go out of your way to hide the light. This is a temptation sometimes because we get in situations where our Christianity starts to stick out. You'll be tempted to kind of want to hide that. Don't hide that. Again, don't be obnoxious about it. You got two extremes. You got people who are blah in your face about, you know, everything. And then you got people who are kind of ashamed and afraid. You know, I know Christians that, you know, 30, 40 years and nobody really knows they're a Christian. The people they work with don't know they're Christians. You, Matt, if you are a person of faith, and the people around you that you work and live and interact with, especially over time, if they never discover that, you are going out of your way to hide it. Do not do that. Okay? We're talking about the commands of Jesus. One of his first commands. You want to write them down? You can mark them as we go along. You know, Jesus said, obey my commands. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. Look at all the commandments of Jesus we're going to go through. One of his first ones is, don't hide your light. Command numero uno. All right? This is the first specific command that we find. Don't hide your light. Let your light shine. Now, well, Pastor, how do I do that? How, do I, how can I communicate my faith? How do I, you know, lights don't work at being light. You don't get a light, then the lights in here, or you know, as I fly over these cities, the lights aren't going, oh, I'm trying to be light, I'm trying to, light just happens, okay? You notice he's not saying, shine brighter, and then there's some analogies of that in portions of scripture, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not telling you to shine brighter, be more, he said, don't hide your light, okay? Because light is light. There is light inside. As a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a light burning inside of you. There is fire burning inside of you. There's something different about you. Now, we display it in various ways. Some of us are much more charismatic in the way we do it. Some are much more helpful in the way they help other people. There's all kinds of ways you can shine your light. Again, some people are really obnoxious with it. Try not to be obnoxious, okay? But even the people who are obnoxious, 
God bless them all. You know, at least at least they're letting their light shine. You have to go out of your way to hide this. I hope this is making sense to you. You have to intentionally, if you have the light of God, if you've been born again and Christ is living in you, and you have faith and you're coming to this church and you're part of this fellowship of believers, man, just be who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are. You don't owe an apology to anybody for who you are. Again, you don't have to be obnoxious about who you are. But let God's love shine through you. All right? You don't have to try and make the light brighter. This isn't about you trying to be brighter. It's just let God be bright in you. And don't hide it. Okay? And oftentimes there's that temptation to do that. So, uh, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. We do things to help people in kindness and you know, maybe you help someone uh, carry something at work that, you know, a lot of people, well, that's not my job, you know. Don't be one of those people. <laughs> be nice. The Christians are supposed to be nice. Man, I know Christians who don't help other people at work. Well, that's not my job description. Really? How about you not be a jerk? How about you be nice? Help people. Be kind. Because when you do that, people notice. When you love people, people notice. Okay? Let God shine inside of you. Don't hide it. Let them see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So that's that's an important command right there. Uh, then he goes into this next segment here. And let me read through this with you. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the Old Testament, Ho Chi Mama, 18 gazillion rules from, you know, when you can work, when you couldn't work, what you could eat, when you couldn't eat, how to cook a goat, when not to cook a goat. I mean, they're... There's so many, you know, tedious Old Testament laws, okay? Well, Jesus comes along and he starts talking in a different way that's not tied to all these tedious rules. And already people were getting the sense, well, maybe he's come to change, you know, to to cancel out the law of Moses. And it's interesting, the wording here is important. And we learn much more about this in the New Testament as God makes this revelation even stronger But listen to his wording. He says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Why? Because God's word is God's. God gave the law, you know, through Moses and stuff like that. So it's not like God's word doesn't mean anything. But he says, I've come to fulfill it. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, uh, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Everyone who breaks, uh, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Which, you know, I'd <laughs> still be rather called the least in the kingdom of heaven than the best guy in hell. <laughs> so, you know, his least are still in heaven. But uh, he said, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, but, but, but look at the phraseology here. Jesus says, I didn't come to cancel it. I came to fulfill it. But it's still, in some degree, kind of the same thing. But words have meaning. Um, It's like if you order something online on the internet. You can call and cancel the order. Or the order can be fulfilled. But in any case, it's done. 
You see what I'm saying? It's, it's been fulfilled. A lot of the Old Testament law and the, the purpose of all those rules and stuff have been fulfilled in Christ. And it becomes more clear in the revelation uh, as, as God continues to reveal what this meant in the book of Acts. In fact, a lot of the whole reason for the book of Acts is to clarify this revelation about, you know, the law of Moses and how it applies in faith. So, but these are the opening salvos that Jesus gives here. He's basically, look, I didn't come to cancel it. I don't cancel my own word. There was, there's purpose, but I, I have come to fulfill it. Okay? But it's been fulfilled. In other words, we don't live anymore by the Old Testament law. It's not that it's been discarded. It's just it's been fulfilled. There's a difference in thinking. And it's important now that it's presented that way. And, and I always want to warn people. You know, uh, you know, I've been a Christian for 40-some years and, and been at this a long time. There always seems to be the same kind of weird doctrines that sh- pop up from time to time. Uh, one of them is the idea of Judaism, a Christian, Christian form of the Old Testament law. Uh, I've been arguing for a while. I, I kind of think we're overdue for that. I'm surprised this hasn't popped up more. But every once in a while, and mark my words, you'll see it. Hopefully you won't see it for a while. But there will be a bunch of people... Uh, Christians running around in your community and maybe some people pop up in the church and say, oh man, we got to really obey the Old Testament law and you can't eat this because the Old Testament says you can't do that and you can't wear that and you can't do that. Just, whoa, 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 hold on. Abraham, all right, we don't do that now. We don't live there. Now, if you want to follow some of these instructions from the Old Testament, you know, some people do this with it. Well, you know, I think if we eat bread like this or have the diet like this will be healthier and live long. Okay, fine. But if you do it for those reasons, then just do it for those reasons. But don't try and make it something religious. It's not holier to eat Ezekiel bread than wonder bread. You might live longer eating Ezekiel bread. I don't like Ezekiel bread. It's too thick. This is me. I like this. Good old-fashioned squishy you could bounce like a ball kind of bread I know it's probably not as good for me I don't care alright but it, it, you're not holier because you ate bread from an Old Testament recipe than if you didn't okay you want to do it fine but don't get caught up in Old Testament thinking and pulling stuff from the law and making it as a, some kind of religious expression Jesus has fulfilled this and has moved on okay now, and then, let me end with this, so you get a picture of where we're about to go. Uh, Jesus says, For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, in other words, these guys have made their whole religious expression based on the law, which some people still want to hang on to. He says, they, 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 their whole expression, these guys, listen to me, these guys memorized huge portions of the law. These guys were religious. Like you cannot believe these people. They tried to follow every single nuance and detail. They actually made it more complicated. They'd find a nuance in the in the Old Testament and they'd add to the nuance. I mean, you know, uh, you know, you shouldn't work on Saturday. Okay, well, that means you can't take more than fifty steps in one direction. I mean, they'd come in with all kinds of stuff. These guys were like sticklers for this Old Testament law. So he's talking about the law. And then and they said, listen, I've come to fulfill this. And then he says this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness 
surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees, these guys who live by all this, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow! I mean, this is a shock. This is an opening salvo here. Jesus basically is saying to all these religious people, these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he said they're all going to hell. Is what he said. Well, he said, no, that doesn't literally... Yeah, that's what it implies. And later on, he actually says it. He tells them one time, every time you make a convert, you Pharisees, you make them twice the child of hell, you are. Now, we know that the Pharisees and stuff orchestrated the plan to kill Jesus. Now, we think that's terrible. And, of course, it was terrible. But it wasn't without foundation. In other words, Jesus really ticked them off. He insulted them at the highest. These are the most proudly arrogant religious people of the day. They did everything right. They were holy. They followed the Old Testament law. And Jesus comes along and says, You bunch of hypocrites, you're going to hell. And they tried to kill him, do you think? I mean, he threatened their power. He threatened their status. He threatened everything. Now, you shouldn't kill people when that happens, and that's, and that's what they did. But it wasn't like Jesus... I'm not trying to stick up for the Pharisees here. But it wasn't like Jesus was just going along minding his own business and the Pharisees came along and tried to kill him. Jesus was in their faces. And it starts with this phrase right here. And it, he ratchets it up from there. Unless you do better, you won't even get to heaven, he says. These people aren't going to get to heaven. Later on, he literally says the children of hell. This was some pretty strong statements here. Look at what Jesus, did Jesus hang with these really cool, religious, very disciplined followers of the technical ends of righteousness? No, he hung out with people who were disasters. He hung out with people who were prostitutes for heaven's sakes, who were, you know, alcoholics. They were the worst of the worst. They were traitors to their own country, these tax collectors and stuff. Jesus was known to be in their company. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. He was in their company talking to them about righteousness. He was loving them when nobody else would love them. He was saying, man, there's hope for you when everybody else says, there's no hope for you. Jesus came and he saw hope and he saw light. Why? Because he said, blessed are you. Everybody says, you know, there's no hope for you. I know there's hope for you. And this is the reason I came, because it's the sick who need physicians. He didn't go around telling these people they're all going to hell now. Obviously, they needed to turn from their sins and turn to God. But man, he turned to the religious people and just hammered them in the strongest of terms. This is Jesus setting out in his opening sermon. And we're just getting started. We've got a ways to go yet. It gets a lot worse from here. Uh, he again Jesus was intense he was powerful he was strong and he challenged the thinking of the day big time and we're just getting started taking a look at it when you see what's coming up next whoa there is some some of it's going to sting a lot of people listening to me right now when you start hearing the words that Jesus used to jerk the slack out of us it's like whoa ow this was our Lord. This is our master. That's why we need to look and see what he said so we can start to obey what he taught. We'll get more into it as we pick it up again next week. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Help us, Lord, as we go through the scriptures here. Give us insight and understanding. Help us to understand your truth, understand your word so we can grow from it. Help us, Lord, to get a picture of what you're saying here. Help us not to hide who we are. 
but to let our light shine before people and help us not to try and build our religious experience based on what we do or don't do or technicalities from the Bible, but Lord, to have a humble righteousness, not something that's based on technicalities, Lord God, so that we can truly walk in faith, so we can be the kind of people you've called us to be, be people who really experience the living God on the inside of them, so that we can shine brightly to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.